Good morning, Living Waters. Good morning. I'm, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Rob. I am the Youth and Connections Pastor here at Living Waters. And I know some of you saw Josh out in the hallway and you're like, why is Rob up here right now? Uh, Josh is probably itching to get back to preaching uh, soon and get back in the saddle. But this week he let me uh, fill the pulpit one more time uh, before he comes back. So this morning, we get to go through, kind of pick up where Pastor Chad left off, and that was Philippians, we're going to pick up in Philippians 1, 20 to 30, Philippians 1, 20 to 30, and so this morning, the title for this morning's message is YOLO versus Wally, okay, YOLO versus Wally. All right, so... For those of you that don't know these acronyms, I know you don't know one of them because we just made it up this week. Uh, so the first one is YOLO, all right? So YOLO is you only live once, right? Has anybody ever heard somebody say YOLO, right? So YOLO, uh, you'll hear it said after or before or after somebody did something crazy, you know, oh, you only live once, right? YOLO. Or maybe they made an extravagant purchase or, you know, did something and they're like, YOLO. And uh, so that's YOLO, all right? And you can, if you don't know what I'm talking about, feel free to YouTube, like YOLO videos, whatever, later. I'm sure you'll find something. Uh, but WALL-E, the new acronym is, so YOLO versus WALL-E, which is we actually live eternally. So you kind of pair that over top of YOLO. And let's get into Philippians 1, 20 to 30 this morning. So Paul says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that would be far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray, and we'll preach. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've used it in my life uh, this week in preparing my heart to preach this morning. I pray that you would um, use it in the life of people here at Living Waters, and uh, you would change them, uh, whether it's to 
have them know you uh, for the first time, know you more, take uh, steps in their lives as they follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big idea this morning, the big idea this morning is that you live out what you believe. You live out what you believe. So what is it that you believe? What do you believe? So this morning we're going to look at three ways we can live out what we truly believe. And the first way is you look at the first verse, which is verse 20. You start to look at mental preparedness that Paul is, is uh, he's preaching to himself. He's preaching to his own heart. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I got to remind myself to slow down. Jolene told me this morning, slow down, Rob. You got to slow down when you're, when you're preaching. So what could Paul be ashamed of? He wrote at least 13 letters in the New Testament. What could Paul be ashamed of? But if you think of how Paul thought of himself in 1 Timothy, he says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I think Paul knows that his own heart, he has the propensity to to do something or to make a decision because he's a sinner that he could be ashamed. So he's preaching to his own heart, saying that it's my eager expectation and hope. Remember, he's in prison at this time. Um, we don't know exactly what the prison was like. Paul had spent some time in a, in a uh, pretty bad prison at one point, but uh, at this point, maybe he's just chained to a Roman guard, maybe under house arrest sort of thing. And, uh, but either way, prison's not going to be a pleasant experience. Um, but Paul begins here still preaching himself, knowing where he's at. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. Paul knows he's a sinner like the Philippian church that he's preaching to, like you and me. He knows he's a sinner. But he's honest in his assessment, and he starts setting expectations in his mind and in his heart. He knows that he needs to do that because he knows he probably could start desiring the comforts that come with a Roman life. He could start trying to talk his way out of prison. As you can imagine, we might try to do that. And he would miss out on the opportunity that he had to honor and glorify Jesus as he was in prison, suffering and being persecuted at that time. He reminds himself to take courage. Take courage, and he sets his mind on honoring Jesus Christ, whether he lives or dies. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So this is his mental process. This is what he's doing. He's preaching to his heart. We, we need to be honest like this with ourselves, too, in our assessment of ourselves. We need to preach to our own hearts. We're not going to be ready for life's battles, spiritual or physical, if we don't honestly assess ourselves. Sometimes we can start thinking that we can do it, right? And that's, that's not true. We need to recognize we're sinners, recognize our desire for comforts. 
that, that are appealing to us in this life. We need to preach to our own hearts. It's my eager expectation and hope that I would not be ashamed. As I prepared for the message this week, it was encouragement and helpful to me to see these words that Paul was preaching. That it would be my eager expectation and hope that I would not be ashamed. And so I began preaching to my own heart. We need to keep preaching to our hearts. If you look in 21 to 24, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. So because Paul set his hope and expectations on Jesus, he can say, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Meaning if I stay alive, I'm living for Jesus with all that I do and for his glory and the church's encouragement. Paul did not say, YOLO! You only live once. I'm getting out of this Roman prison. That's not what he said. He didn't didn't say, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go find the best place to live. Maybe I'll go find that island, uh, Kauai, and I'll go find, you know, a, uh, a tubby islander and have him play a ukulele and sing, you know, over the rainbow. Uh, that's not where Paul's mindset was. His mindset was more like Wally. We actually live eternally, right? So because Paul had that mindset, Paul, Paul saw his departure or his death as gain. Paul isn't focused on not suffering in prison. That's not where his focus is at. He isn't focused on those hard circumstances. Paul's hard-pressed because he strongly desires to go be with Jesus because he has an intimate relationship with Jesus. Many of us here have that relationship with Jesus. He loves Jesus who loved him first. Maybe Paul's reflecting in his mind on his conversion when he was changed, when God changed him from Saul to Paul. That Jesus would save a sinner like him, a murderer, a murderer from sin, he longed to be with his loving and merciful Savior. He longed to be with Jesus who loved him so much that he came and died for his sin, all of them, all of his sins. And those of us who know Jesus, we desire to be with Jesus. But sometimes we need to be reminded and we need to remind ourselves who Jesus is, who we'd be without him. And that reignites our desire to be with him. And then we can say, like Paul, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Paul saw his death as departure, like a ship leaving from shore only to arrive at another shore. So he was going to leave here on earth only to arrive with Jesus. That's where Paul's mind was. He might have been reflecting on a recent vision that he had in, of heaven. Paul got to do that. He got to see what heaven was like and Wouldn't that excite you if you saw what heaven was like? That would be, amen, right? That would be amazing. We can imagine what that's like. 
And that might have been where Paul's head was at too. He wants to depart and be with Christ because Christ is so amazing, but heaven's pretty amazing. The second point though is Paul is saying we need to hang in with each other. Okay, we need to hang in with each other in 24 to 28, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul decides that it's more necessary that he does not depart, but he remains. To be clear, though, Paul is not contemplating suicide. Paul's not contemplating suicide here. It's Paul seeing and believing that God is not done using him here on earth yet. He still has breath. He knows that God wants to use him. It's still necessary. But that's a note maybe to someone here that might be struggling with suicidal ideations. If you have breath in your lungs, God is not done using you yet. God is not done using you yet. You need to talk to somebody, though, if that's where you're at. Paul is saying that it's more necessary that he stick around for the Philippian church. He's convinced that his purpose is to come to the church and to love the church so that they can progress and have joy in faith. So that in him they would have ample cause to glory in Christ. And so he saw it as necessary to stay around, hang around. And Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our lives, our lives should be different, right? They should look different because we are in Christ. They should stand out. How we talk to people in love should stand out. How we care for the soul of a person should stand out. How we can forgive somebody because of what we've been forgiven of should stand out. Live your life worthy of the gospel. Warren Wearsby said, the most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book. It is the consistent life of believers. He goes on to say, it's worth remembering that the world around us knows only the gospel that it sees in our lives. If you look at 2 Corinthians 3.2, it says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel because people are reading you. An unknown author said, You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? What is the gospel according to you? What are people reading when they see you? Paul goes on to talk about standing firm as a church. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. I think of the movie Braveheart. When I think of standing firm, you've got the scene where they've got, they've got the poles they've made really long and the horses are coming at them. They've got a line of defense they don't want anybody to get past that line of defense. 
And they've got these poles, and the horses are going to run straight into these poles that they're holding. And you've got William Wallace that is saying, hold, hold, right? Stand firm. That's what we need to do. That's the idea that needs to be in our mind as a church. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind. Is Paul suggesting that, that the church should just agree on everything? That they, that's what one-mindedness is? I think uh, all the churches throughout history would fail if that was the case. But if that's not what he's saying, what is he saying? What does it look like when a church falls down? What does it look like when a church is pulling in different directions? It looks like infighting. When a person is fighting or competing for themselves. When a person is out for their own glory. Look at what I just did. Look at how amazing this is. It looks like ignoring sin in our own lives and in your brother or sister in Christ's life. It might look like judging others while not dealing with your own junk. It looks like gossip. It looks like when you have a problem with another person, instead of going directly to that person with that problem, you go to another person, thereby creating this triangle and a weird situation. A lot of times people are, go to a person and they say, well, I'm just I'm venting, right? But what really begins to happen is the church begins to fall down. So stand firm, hold, with one spirit, with one mind, to act as a biblical family. One of our core values around here at Living Waters is biblical family, biblical family atmosphere, which looks like instead of competing with each other, you build each other up in Christ and for his glory. When you see your brother or sister hurting, you listen to them. You make time to listen to them. You pray with them. You speak humbly, but you give them truth from God's word. It means when a person in church said or did something to you that was hurtful, you go to them. You talk it through with them, with humility, seeking to solve the issue with grace and mercy and truth. That's biblical family. We can and should stand firm with one spirit and one mind. We can do that because of Jesus. We also need to strive. Paul talks about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving. When I think of striving, I think of when I was in high school, I was not, I was not necessarily a track guy, right? But I had, I had gotten in trouble, and I loved football, so I had to work off an ineligibility, so I went out for track. And so during this time, so I took the easiest route, or what I thought was the easiest route, and I, I went to throw shot put, because they didn't have to run as much, right? And so, uh, so I go to throw shot put, and I, you know, I could throw a whopping 38 feet, right? That's not very far if you know anything about shot put, but I get, that, that's what I did. And uh, one meet, it was a really cold meet, 
A friend of mine who was on the four by one team, they were a, they were a ended up being a, a state four by one team. They're really good. They're really fast. He comes up to me. It was a cold meet, and he said, "Hey, Rob, you wanna you wanna run in my place?" And uh, I'm like, "Sure." Like, yeah, if the coach says it's okay. I'm like, "There's no way." And so I'm like, "You get it okayed by the coach, and and I'll go run." And uh, so he ends up talking to the coach. The coach says, "Yeah, you guys all already qualified for state." So this meet really doesn't matter that much. Um, so if, if you can find a pair of cleats that fit Rob, then Rob can run. And so he goes around, he finds another guy, gives me a pair of cleats. First time I ever wore a pair of track cleats. So that, that was a whole new experience. But anyway, and then first time I ever took a baton. And so we start practicing those kind of things. And they said, okay, you're going to be the anchor you're going, to be the, you're going to be the last guy in the four by one. So you're going to run 100 meters at the very end. You're going to be the last guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. And so I, you know, I was fairly quick. I ran a fast 40-yard dash. This is 100 meters, though. This is a little bit different. And, and it gets around to the last leg of the race, and, and we have the lead. And it come, the baton comes to me, and I am running as fast fast and as hard as I possibly can. And, and I can hear footsteps from the next guy coming up behind me. And I was striving as fast and as hard as I could. And, and by the end, by the end of the race, got to the finish line, got first place, but my hamstring was stretched. Striving, striving. This is the idea that Paul is talking about. We need to strive side by side though. Strive side by side for the gospel. What would it look like if our entire membership was striving side by side for the gospel? For starters, it might mean that tonight at the family fun night, we would have 300 people from Living Waters here and outside being ready to be read by the community, seen by the community so that they can see Christ in you. Family fun night is just one example, but that's striving. So that they might come to know the same Jesus that you know. We would be purposeful with our time and conversations that we have. We would make time daily in our family to talk with Jesus and pray together. We would find ways to be Jesus to the community around Living Waters Fellowship. There's a lot of physical needs around Living Waters Fellowship. There's a lot of spiritual needs around Living Waters Fellowship. A lot of souls that need Jesus in and around your homes. Paul goes on and says not to be frightened by opponents. He says this is a clear sign to them that their destruction, of their destruction, but of your salvation and a clear sign from God. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So when we face intense situations by our opponents, we can face them without fear. In fact, when you respond without fear, it's a testimony of your salvation, your truth to the people around you. If you grew up in 
youth group in the late 90s, you certainly heard of the Columbine shootings, right? Everybody heard about the Columbine shootings, and you might have heard of Cassie Bernal, the girl who said yes. Remember the story? Moments before the gunman shot her, Cassie was asked by the gunman, do you believe in God? And she said yes. A clear sign of her salvation. I think so. So do not be frightened by your opponents. Be encouraged. Number three, be encouraged. Verses 29 to 30. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So we're granted we're granted suffering. We're granted persecution. When you are persecuted by your opponents for the sake of the gospel, it is a gift. Do we look at it that way all the time? J. Vernon McGee spoke of how the church in Korea suffered before and during World War II. Two missionaries from that area returned home. A woman by the name of Miss Hill read the verse above. And that is the verse the church in Korea took when persecution broke out. It was a gift. We shouldn't go looking to be a martyr or persecuted, but in 2 Timothy, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So because of this verse, you know that suffering is a gift. The suffering that you are going through for Christ is a gift. Suffering will come as a believer, but don't disengage. Instead, engage. Maybe at Living Waters Fellowship, we would be known as a church that lives in a way that says, like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So how about you this morning? What is it that you believe? What is it that you believe? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? So Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if you reflect honestly, authentically about your life, for me to live is blank and to die is blank. What do you fill those blanks in with. Are you mentally prepared? Do you take time to preach to yourself and to your own heart? Are you honest with your assessment of yourself? Are you reminding yourself of who you are and who you are only because of Jesus? Do you desire to be with Jesus? Does your life stand out what is the gospel according to you as people read you? What is the gospel? And are you unified with the church at Living Waters Fellowship? Or are you marching to the beat of your own drum, pulling in a different direction? And then how do you view suffering in your life? So if the big idea is you live out what you believe, what is it that you believe? Let's, let's pray, the band will come, and uh, we'll sing. God, you're good.
Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you change us, you grow us, you ignite us um, by your word. I pray that we would be a people who walk worthy of the gospel, who live out what we believe. We believe in you. We believe in your son, Jesus, that he died for us, that he was raised again the third day for our sin. God, I pray that we would be people that are changed, people that show our community, show people around us that we are changed, that we would be people that know you and love you, God. We thank you. We thank you for uh, your love for us that we don't deserve. Pray for this church that we will walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.